Welcome to Crossing Broad FC. This is episode five. Phil, can you believe it? Five episodes of us uh, talking about international football, sometimes being right, often being wrong. Uh, that, of course, includes in episode four, we, uh, we waxed poetic about the matchups that we expected to happen. You spun your conspiracy theory about there's no way that Real Madrid and Bayern Munich end up playing each other in the semifinals. It couldn't possibly happen. And then, boom, it happened. We've got some uh, Champions League stuff that we're going to talk about. Of course, Manchester City clinching the Premier League. Uh, a little bit of a race coming down the final five weeks or so of the Serie A season. Uh, a little bit of La Liga, the fight for second between the two teams from Madrid. Uh, we'll talk about the Bundesliga a little bit, including Bayern uh, hiring a new manager uh, at the end of this season and uh, the timing of that. And it's not a name that I think a lot of people are expecting. Uh, we will very briefly touch on League Un and CONCACAF Champions League. There's a lot of stuff to, to uh, discuss. Phil, uh, we actually just got done recording another podcast, uh, Crossing Broadcast, or the anchor show of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, uh, following a Philadelphia 76ers Game 3 win over the Miami Heat. So we are in rare form. It is very late on Thursday night as we record this. As I've often said, what do you want from me? And along the same lines, you took a shot at my prediction abilities with reference to UEFA's proclivity or predilection to protect the Spanish teams. Let me just throw a wrench into your little shot at me. What if by pairing Real Madrid and Bayern Munich in the Champions League draw in the semifinals... What if they're actually protecting Real Madrid by pairing them with Bayern, right? So you have Liverpool, who's terrifying. They put it to Man City. And you have Roma, who's not all that good, but who managed to put Barcelona out, right? So what if UEFA looked at the landscape and said, maybe Real Madrid would be best off playing Bayern because Bayern's playing in the Bundesliga where nobody's any good. And we're not sure if they're a good team. So we believe Madrid could take Bayern out and work their way into a final that way. Right? I cannot agree with you. So I, I have I have one issue in this. The idea that Bayern Munich is somehow this this uh this team that Real Madrid should not fear. Like the idea that Real Madrid should be more afraid of Liverpool than they should Bayern, I think is just woefully homeristic of you in in you being an EPL elitist. Um, I do think that Liverpool is a very good squad. I think they have a, a great manager. We've discussed this at, at length. Perhaps some would even say ad nauseum at this point. Um, but I, I, I said before, and, th- and this is the other thing that I specifically got very wrong in the last episode, I said that I believed that Sergio Ramos was going to be suspended uh, for the first leg of the semifinals because he was in an argument with Massimiliano Allegri, the Juventus manager, um, the issue, I guess, now was that UEFA said he never technically set foot on the pitch. And that apparently is how they are going to, uh, I guess, justify this. There was precedent that had been set in the past that a, a guy watching the game from the tunnel uh, was suspended for a match. This, to me, is, if nothing else, that was definitely UEFA stepping in and trying to protect the integrity of a semifinal 
um, while kind of throwing caution and, and the previous rules and, and precedents to the wind. Um, I, I, I'm very fearful for Real Madrid in this matchup. Uh, I, I still think that even with Ramos back, that Lewandowski will find the back of the net multiple times in this. I, I said it at some point, it might have been the last episode, maybe it was episode three. Um, you know, there there is something to be said for wanting to see two quality sides match up over two over two games. And, you know, like maybe it's not robbing the fans of what could have been an amazing final between Real Madrid and, and Bayern Munich. Maybe this is something where, you know, we're getting treated to that matchup twice and we should be grateful I think we would both agree, although now it's starting to sound like you've gone fully in on Liverpool. I still think whoever comes out of this matchup wins the Champions League. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I don't really... Uh, if let me, let me put it like this. If Roma somehow figures out a way to knock out Liverpool and Real Madrid goes to the final, then I'm going to probably pick Roma because if, if there is a, a way to, uh, to take out the, the team that knocked out City knocked out the champions of La Liga and then you're going to go up against, you know, the second or third place La Liga team who happens to also be a defending Champions League champ. I've got to think that like you made a, a deal with the devil at that point. See, for me, yes, I have sold out on Liverpool only because they drew Roma in the semifinal. And I'm not sure Roma can keep up with Liverpool over 180 minutes and stoppage time and all the shenanigans that go on in Champions League ties. They're terrifying. Salah is so good. Firmino is clinical. Mane is electric. Who does Roma have, really? They got Dzeko and some other players. But for me, Liverpool's going to score six goals in this tie. Is Roma going to score six goals? I don't think so. So for me, Liverpool's going through. And yeah, Madrid and Munich are more traditionally powerful entities in this tournament, but Munich is kind of an old, untested side with some management issues, which we'll get into as we go on in this pod tonight. And Real Madrid, listen, Ronaldo can only save them so many times. For me, in a 90-minute final, I would take... Liverpool against almost anybody because they just pumped the ball in the net so many times. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I want to believe that there are going to be uh, moments that are going to be worth watching in that Roma Liverpool matchup, but that's that that to me is a secondary uh, um, viewing experience. Like, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in, of course, because that's that's what we do here. We watch copious amounts of games we analyze them we break them down we talk about them here but um i I don't know i i don't i don't really have too good of a feel yet on this liverpool roma matchup and you know maybe maybe it's being too much of a casual fan um and and maybe it's just playing the easy game here but i just think that the matchup uh between byron and and real is just going to be more interesting i think it's uh you've got plenty of storylines that are going into this you've got james rodriguez going up against his former team um you know, I guess the team still technically owns his rights. He's only on loan to Bayern, but um, you know, I think I think there are certain matchups in that 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 are going to be interesting. Like I mentioned before, Lewandowski against the center backs for Real, um, and and seeing if if Benzema or whoever they're going to play at the center forward spot is going to be able to to put the ball in the back of the net. I still think that at some point, and and maybe it'll it'll be next season. I still think Benzema needs to get replaced by Real. Um, I know that. 
they've found massive success in the Champions League. But I think at some point, you've got to get somebody in who can you know, give you a more consistent presence up front, or you need to get somebody to replace Ronaldo on that left wing and just shift him up to uh, to that forward spot. But um, I, I do think that these Champions League semis are going to be interesting. I don't think they're the perfect matchups. I don't think they're the matchups that we wanted to see. I still think that Klopp and Liverpool against uh, you know his former Bundesliga foe in uh, in Bayern would have been a much more interesting matchup, and I think it would have been cool to see Roma go up against yet another La Liga team. Uh, to continue the Serie A versus La Liga narrative, and it it didn't happen. So from that you know frame of of mind, I'm a little bit disappointed. But it should be, I guess, somewhat interesting matchups. For me, it's as simple as this: Real Madrid plays in a competitive league. Now it's top heavy, a lot the way a lot of these European leagues are. But Atletico is not terrible. Obviously, Barcelona is winning the league at a trot, and Real is put to the test. Week on week, probably, you know, two out of five, two out of four. The Bundesliga stinks, man. I mean, Bayern is walking away with the title again. They, they've won several titles in a row. It's it's boring for Bayern. So, for me, we don't know. It's six now, I think. Yeah, we, we don't know what we're going to get out of Bayern in a match that matters, especially against Real Madrid, who, as I just mentioned, is tested routinely. And... Bayern is about to introduce a new manager. They have to be prohibitive favorites, Real Madrid. And if they're not, it's only because the Bayern players decide we're just going to do this on our own. But I don't feel that way about this at all. And I think it's going to be Liverpool and Real Madrid in the final. And that's going to be a really fun final. I hope that happens. Yeah, I agree. I I think that that ultimately is the way that it should shake out. I do think that you're being dismissive of Bayern, which is a little bit strange to me. Um, They still have a a stacked squad this isn't something that i think real is going to be able to run away with like they did in the first leg against juventus um i i definitely see this being a bit of a shootout but i think this is going to be something where um you know maybe this comes down to aggregate goals um i don't know like what what would an acceptable aggregate be like maybe somewhere around like six six seven seven maybe a little bit higher well if if real and juventus went what was it three three on aggregate then let's let's raise the stakes on this a little bit. I think it could it could easily get up to to the eights or the nines on aggregate, and uh, if it ends up being that competitive, then I think I would even kind of cheer for extra time. I don't like these matches ending in shootouts, but if we ended up getting some some extra time, if it's been an exciting two games, uh, then I you know I have no problem watching another thirty minutes of uh, of Bayern Real. We'll see what happens. I, I really like Liverpool. Um, if I had to put my own money on a team to go all the way, I'm taking Liverpool because the odds will be really good, and they score goals. And much as we like to say defense wins championships, for me, now that it's gone this far and some of the clubs that have been eliminated have been sent out, I think Klopp does it. I think Liverpool has enough offense to basically score their way to a Champions League win. Yeah, I don't see that. I think I think it's a great story and I like Klopp as a manager a lot, but um I'm still not ready to to buy that they're going to be able to take out one one or the other of uh of Bayern or, or Real. But it would make a very interesting story. I think in in either case, Liverpool or Roma would be an upset and it could be a very interesting story and it, it kind of builds on uh you know what has been 
I, I would say some pretty interesting series here as uh, as the tournament has kind of wound down. We've seen plenty of of inspiring comebacks. We've seen some inspiring comebacks come uh, come close to uh, to flipping the script and then uh, coming up uh, short with a, a penalty call at the end, and that kind of leads us to. Uh, what I would consider maybe beyond doubling down, uh, John Luigi Buffon continues the uh, the tirade against Michael Oliver, and that that to me, uh, you know, without getting too much into it, I think is is very alarming in on many levels. Uh, people tweeting threats at Michael Oliver's wife on Twitter, uh, going after her on social media. It's it it just it strikes it. What what's the word I want to look for? Like it it reeks of um, poor sportsmanship. It reeks of being in, of massive insecurity. It, it reeks of not having been able to uh, perform at the highest level in that moment. And and him not only failing to realize that he really screwed his team by getting himself thrown out of the game, but um, the fact that like there is nothing to gain by going after the official. This you know after after the game. Would have been the perfect moment in post game for him to say, you know, I'm still a little bit emotional and I I don't really want to get into it. You know, give me a couple of days to cool off, especially because of what that that game could have meant in the, uh, you know, the end of his career. But for him to go out days later and to continue this onslaught against Michael Oliver, you know, even had Andrea Pirlo weighing in and and former Juventus club legends weighing in saying that they would have punched the official. I mean, it's it's outlandish. It's it's kind of absurd and it's. Uh, I, I don't know. It's thuggish. I think you can even argue it's thuggish. Just to reset the scene, th- this is days, almost a week after Michael Oliver calls a penalty in the dying moments of a Juventus Champions League match where Buffon has played really, really well. And unfortunately, when Oliver calls a penalty, it's going to set up Cristiano Ronaldo to fire home a penalty to carry Real Madrid through against Juventus. And those circumstances are sad and unfortunate. And look, as a football fan, a world football fan, I really wanted to see extra time. And I wanted to see what Juventus could do against mighty Real Madrid. But at day's end, this was a stone cold penalty that Oliver called. He got it right. And we talked about this last week. In the heat of the moment, when emotions are raw and the feelings are tender, we can almost accept, I didn't, but some of us could almost accept that Buffon would overreact, play the victim, cry crocodile tears, and say that he was screwed. But, look, we all can see the video of the play he's complaining about, and it's days and a week after, and he's still crying, and it's not right. Oliver got the call correct. Buffon is basically saying what Oliver should have done was referee the match to the beat or drum of what the people in the stands wanted to see. That's not what football is. You referee the match. You make the calls based on what you see in front of you. And that was a stone-dead penalty. And, And Oliver got it right. So for Buffon three or four or five days after to keep saying that Oliver got it wrong and he should be subject to abuse and he's doubling down, this is a travesty. Now, here's what I'll say. 
Buffon is not setting himself up for his post-playing career in a very effective way, and here's why I'll say that. Buffon may think, well, look, I'm done playing, and Oliver is not my boss anymore. He's not going to be the guy who makes calls that matter to me in the future because I'm done playing. But what if Gigi Buffon wants to be a manager someday? Or what if he wants to be in UEFA's um, administration, their structure, right? And he has this ongoing beef with Oliver that he wouldn't let go. How is that going to work out? If Buffon is managing a club 10 years from now and Oliver still <laughs> still refereeing matches and he has to answer those questions, that's not a good look for Buffon. So for me... It's way too late for Buffon to raise his hand and say, I screwed up. He has to take the L. It's too late. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, although I will say that Italian Italian football is uh, kind of notorious for um, looking the other way on, on some pretty questionable things. So I'm not, I don't necessarily think that this precludes him from finding a, a position. I do think that it would. Um, I think more than anything, it kind of stains his overall reputation. Um, now, I think in in the the heat of the moment, um, you know, it, it's fair to say that he he didn't do himself any favors. But I don't think he's going to find himself blackballed uh, by by organizations that are are looking for a manager or looking for somebody to to come in and um, to serve on a on a coaching staff in the early. He won't going. be blackballed, but he'll have to deal with the fact that he has gotten into this scrap with this younger official who's probably going to have another 20, 25 years worth of career officiating matches because Oliver's really good. That's the problem that Buffon has. This is not some guy that nobody holds in regard. The Premier League thinks Oliver is one of the best young officials in the league, and I happen to agree. So Oliver's going to pop up in Champions League matches and certainly Premier League matches, forever and a day. And again, it's a small community at the very, very highest level of world football. These men bump into each other over and over again. And for Buffon to essentially make a an enemy and a blood enemy in Oliver is just dumb. There's no reason, especially when Oliver got the call right. Yeah, I don't I don't totally disagree with you, Phil. I think I think there's I, I I hate admitting the fact that that you were right on this, um, but in the moment, you know, you were you were very critical of Buffon, and I I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think at this at this point, it's it's really hard to to, uh, to side with the guy, no matter how much I might like him. Uh, I he just didn't do himself any favors in the situation. So uh, you know, he brought up the EPL, and and obviously we were just talking a little bit about a team from Serie A before we. Uh, um, move on to the Premier League, which I think will take a bulk of what we're going to talk about. Um, an interesting matchup coming up in Serie A uh, is this Sunday, the 22nd. Um, Juventus is hosting Napoli. And for those who have or haven't been following Serie A, this is one of the only leagues that you know has any kind of interest at the, the top spot. Napoli is four points behind Juventus for first in Serie A. Uh, I believe Juventus is riding, what is it, six straight Scudettos they've won, uh, which was a record. They're looking to extend that streak. Uh, if Napoli wins, they pull themselves within a point. So 
I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if uh, they, if there's going to be any kind of a hangover from uh, from them having been eliminated from the Champions League. They uh, they did end up with a, a draw against Crotone, one uh, one. That being Juventus. So I, I do think I I didn't look at the lineup of that game, um, but clearly Crotone is not a good squad, and the fact that they were not able to uh, continue their dominance in Serie A at least for that one match strikes me as a little bit odd. So I guess we'll see. Uh, if if Napoli ends up winning, which uh, I kind of like to be somebody who likes to watch the world burn a little bit in these kind of situations, I certainly would love to see a, ma- a, uh, a league go down to the last last week or the last two weeks, which uh, we certainly cannot say for the Barclays Premier League, which uh, certainly is not nearly as competitive, Phil. Well, there's no question about that. Obviously, Juventus is home uh, against Napoli. This weekend, and given that they're four points up, you know as well as I do that in Serie A, when a club has a four-point lead and they're playing their nearest competitor, they're going to park a bus, a train, uh, an aircraft carrier, possibly a spaceship, anything against their goal. Um, It'll be everything that Napoli can summon just to score a goal in this match. If I had to bet it, Again, uh, I'm not a betting man, but if I had to bet it, I'd say Juventus win this match outright. I think that Napoli has had a wonderful run, and they're a, a very solid side. But Juventus showed enough in the Champions League for me and has shown enough over the course of 33 matches in Serie A to say that at home, they will get the job done, be it 1-0 or 2-1. They're going to win this match, and I think that's going to put the sword to the sorry, uh, title run. I think I have to agree with you. Let's move on to uh, the the Premier League. I was trying to get you to go there, Phil. Maybe it's because we've uh, we've been recording for a while. I thought you were going to pick up what I was putting down. I thought we had some great chemistry going. Oh, I'll, this, put, it uh, now, moment, but, uh, I'll but, put it down now, my brother. I'll put it down now, my brother. So let's he, he, get, your, get your gloating out of the way. Here, here's your friend Phil, your old buddy, spending just. We're going to emphasize minutes. older. Well, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> um, Manchester City uh, wins the title Oop. this past weekend. Uh, they're third in the past, I believe, seven seasons, um, and it was just so anticlimactic. Man City played again last weekend. I said they're not going to win over the course of the next six or seven days because United have West Brom. It's going to be fine. They'll win. United will win against West Brom. So no matter what City does against Tottenham, it's not going to matter for the purposes of the Premier League title because United have those points in the bag against West Brom. Well, here again, I guess I'm not the uh, better or predictor that I thought I was because City went to Wembley and hung a 3-1 on Tottenham Hotspur. And I'm not going to say it wasn't that close, but it kind of wasn't that close. Spurs' goal came out of nothing, whereas City just batted the ball around Wembley and made Spurs look like a bunch of training cones. So City hangs 3-1 on Spurs. But again, as a City fan, I'm saying, well, but United's going to at least get... uh, Probably they're going to win the match against West Brom, who was targeted for rele- relegation maybe they'll draw but probably not 
and it's in the theater of dreams for god's sake and united goes out and loses to west brom and city gets to figuratively raise the premier league trophy over their heads after united loses to one of the worst teams in the league with one of their worst performances of the year and the my favorite part of this whole situation was after united loses Mourinho once again comes out and stresses how many trophies he's won internationally and what a great manager he is and how his players let him down one more time. It just gets boring with this guy. Like, at some level, Jose Mourinho, losing to West Brom at home has to be your fault, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean... He'll never admit it. He'll never admit it. I loved his quote that just said, I know how to win, but I don't play the games. I mean, like, it's taxing. Having him as a manager just is taxing. I I can't imagine as a fan of that team or of any team that he's managed. I mean, he he often brings you a championship. He brings you hardware. There's there's no doubt about it. The, The man has a great track record in that, but he also has the track record of self imploding within three years. And essentially, bur- not only burning bridges on his way out, he he ignites C4 uh, on the bridges, on the specific cars crossing the bridge. Uh, he just, he he's a mess. I, I don't understand why he does it. I don't know if it's because he feels like he just needs a constant challenge. But if that's the case, why can't you just be like a, a decent human being and say, you know, I feel like we've accomplished a lot here at United and I, you know, I'd like to pursue another challenge. You know, is it because you're afraid that people are going to, you know, question your legacy at United and your overall legacy? Well, I think if you continue to burn every bridge you have uh, in the leagues that you are managing in, and, you know, in, in this run, he did not lead them to a uh, an EPL title. He led them to an awful exit in the Champions League. You know, there's no better challenge than the one that's in front of him. He's got wealthy owners that are going to make all the transfers he wants. He's got a team that is internationally known and recognized as being one of the premier teams to go to. And so, like, he's in a perfect situation. I mean, aside from him deciding that he wants to go and build up a a smaller team in pick whatever league, maybe he wants to go back to Portugal and he decides that he wants to take a a middle-of-the-table Portuguese team back up to, you know, let's say the Champions League. And go on a run there and kind of like reestablish himself as a as a guy who can develop talent, who can really push the buttons the right way and, and motivate a team to play above their skill level. Like unless that's what he's aiming for, which I, I don't see. I don't think it would make any sense for him. Uh, I, I don't understand why he's going out on on these kind of wild, belligerent tangents against his players at United. It just doesn't make sense. And even seeing a guy like Marcus Rashford, like isn't going to be guaranteed playing time or, or doesn't necessarily have a solid spot on, on the, in the squad next year. It just seems like that, that to me is like him really wanting to put in that final nail in his own coffin. Why would you not want to, you know, build around a, a very good young player moving forward? Like why, why even go in public and say it on the same subject? So Mourinho leads United to a derby win over City when, candidly, City were 
distracted by their Champions League problems after having gotten drilled at Anfield. And City were hoping to pull off a miracle at the Etihad. It obviously didn't happen. Um, United were helped by some officials' calls at the Etihad in the Derby. Fine. Who cares? After that, Mourinho goes out with his second-place side and has a chance to, again, forestall Manchester City's raising of the trophy against West Brom, who's a terrible club, and they lose at home. And what does Mourinho say after that match? He says, well, you know, my players were on the moon. I think that was the uh, actual phrase that he used. Again, the translations are questionable. Over the moon or on the moon, it doesn't matter. Mourinho said that his players in training the week leading up to the West Brom match were sort of preening and strutting and feeling really good about the result they'd had against City the week before. And so at some level, Mourinho was saying it's not my fault that we get beat by West Brom 1-0 on a mundane goal. I can only manage the team I can't play. Hey, hold on. You set the squad. That's exactly right. You set the you, squad. You're the you one who puts the, the tactics. You put the tactics in as as you're establishing your game plan for the week. That's it's total right. BS. It's total nonsense. I know where you're going. And 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 please have at it. Rip into the man. But like that is, it is such a tired expression. It is such a a tired idea that a manager you know can try to wash their hands of it. But oh. Oh, if United finds glory, it's all about Mourinho. But the moment that they lose to West Brom and essentially, you know, hand over the the uh, the title to their crosstown rivals, oh no, 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 it has nothing to do with the manager. It's- How can you possibly see your team strut and preen around the training ground and say that they have done something by beating City in a match that didn't matter to City, and not impress yourself, inflict yourself on their overall demeanor and say, hey, you haven't done anything. City didn't care about that match, and we have a match to play this weekend against West Brom, who has nothing to lose. And you know what happened? They lost at home to West Brom and gave City the title. Now, again, it would have been an embarrassment for United to lose at the Etihad and give Manchester City the Premier League title on Manchester City's pitch. And they avoided that just barely through uh, referee's intervention. But a week later, to lose to the bottom dweller in the Prem and hand the title to the city that way when they don't even have to play to get it, that's almost worse. And for me, Mourinho has questions to answer that are much broader than why is City so much better than your club? Yeah, and I think ultimately, like if you are looking at United, if, if you're an owner, if you're a fan, I, I can't imagine a scenario where I'd want to go into next season with Jose Mourinho as my manager. Because I I think even if you consider him to still be a world-class manager, there's got to be at least a part of you that thinks, like, if he's going to self-implode like this, and he's going to lash out at the players like this, he's not going to take any responsibility. One, you know, does he, in, in his own way, kind of reduce the likelihood of, a world-class player that you might need to fill a hole on your roster. Is there a chance that he's now going to prevent that guy from really giving strong consideration? I mean, 
you still would have to imagine that the crest and playing in the EPL is attractive to plenty of players. We've mentioned before that Christian Pulisic might actually be one of those guys who's being targeted by United. And of course, uh, you know, I have a one of my buddies, uh, Christian, is a massive Manchester United fan. And, you know, every every transfer window, he is convinced that every major uh, transfer target is going to be going to United or or would go out of their way to become a United player. I'm not so sure that if I'm a guy who's got, like, let's say, a Barcelona or a Real Madrid knocking at their door, uh, that that I'm going to pass those clubs over to go play for a manager who really does not look long for the position at United. My response to that would be, I agree. And also, to some level, what does Mourinho do with the side that he has and the players that he has? They spent an ungodly amount of money on Paul Pogba. And Pogba scored two goals against City in the Derby. And then against West Brom, he was invisible again. What do you have when you have Paul Pogba? Do you have a guy that you can trust to go 90 minutes? Not really. Do you have a guy that you can put out there for 70 minutes who you trust to make an impact? Sometimes. Do you have a guy who can put out for 30 minutes at the end of a match and hope he'll make something happen? Again, sometimes, but not really. For me, they don't have difference-making players at United, and they used to have them in spades. That side needs an overhaul that I don't think Mourinho can be in charge of because, again, Mourinho trusts veteran players. He will not allow young players to find their way, and they have a bunch of veteran players who just aren't good enough. So I I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to touch on in in the EPL. Um, there will still be, a, I guess, a few some uh, storylines as we get going. Um, Alonso from uh, Chelsea got three game suspension for uh, for stomping on an opponent, which was interesting. Uh, it was something I don't think he was sent off in the match, but uh, upon further review, uh, it was decided that that he needed to uh, to be suspended for I believe it was three games. So uh, well, that's well that's... and good, but Chelsea have won two matches in a row and they're on a bit of a tear. And I don't think they'll get themselves back into the top four in the Premier League. But after today and, you know, their win, you kind of have to feel like they're still in the conversation. The way that Tottenham and uh, Liverpool even are bearing themselves up in the league suggests that if Chelsea goes on a tear and wins the last four matches in the league, they get home. And one of those other clubs is going to find themselves out of the Champions League spots. I uh, just kind of want to go out of my way for a moment to uh, to talk about Harry Kane. Did you see the quote that Harry Kane had about a uh, about a goal that he he believes? Oh, I did. So Harry Kane is trying, I guess, to to still close the the gap to uh, to get the golden boot and to get it away from uh, Mo Salah of Liverpool. And he claimed that on a, a ball that was, uh, I, I guess, questionable if he had scored, he swore on the life of his daughter that he made contact with the ball and that the goal belonged to him. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around. I know it's just a figure of speech, but um, I I don't understand why a player, why any human being, why any father would go out of their way to swear, to say even conceptually that they would swear on the life of their child. Um, I, I just think it's, it's a very strange thing for him to say. 
it's outlandish and I don't think he's going to be able to catch Salah. So it's also just kind of uh, an exercise in futility. Were you surprised by it? Were you disgusted by it? Did you not care about it? I wasn't disgusted, but I'll say this. Um, there's a phrase, that's so Spursy, because Tottenham has been that club that has always been butting up against Arsenal and butting up against the higher-level clubs of the league, but never quite getting there. And for Kane, who obviously is on a club that is pretty well ensconced in the top four and is going to get back into the Champions League, but let's face it, had an ignominious falling out of the Champions League this year. Oh, I like that word. To now spend his energy and his time swirling the life of his child about some goal he may or may not have scored is disgraceful and not indicative of a player who believes in his own ability. Like, for me, he should have just been like, eh, you know what, whoever you say scored that goal, that's good enough for me. I'm a great player. I'll score more. It doesn't matter. For him to come out and effectively beg to be credited with a goal that may or may not have been scored off a glancing blow of his body is a shame, especially when you look at the way that Salah has played this year. Salah has put the ball in the net over and over and over again without question. He is probably, again, as a Man City fan, it pains me to say, Salah is the best player in the Premier League this year, even though his team is not going to win the league. So let's move on to uh, another league that I guess is worth uh, at least momentarily discussing, which would be La Liga. Obviously, Barcelona is not going to be caught. They have now run off a stretch of 40 straight matches unbeaten in La Liga, including 33 matches this season. Uh, It's now a a matchup between Madrid rivals Atletico and Real. It's a three-point gap. Um, I'm going to just take a real quick look at uh, Real's schedule coming up. Uh, Do we have another Madrid derby? We do not. So, uh, Real is actually playing Barca on May 6th, so we'll have an El Clasico uh, later in the season. Just looking really quick. Yeah, this is this is interesting. So, they've got Leganes uh, this... Is it tomorrow? No, no. It's in a week. So, they've got Leganes in a week. Um, they've got Bayern coming up on the 25th. So, obviously, I think all of the eggs are going to go in the Champions League basket. Um, They've got one real tough matchup, as I was mentioning, against Barcelona on May 6th. They've got a matchup against my favorite sixth-place team of all time, Sevilla, on the 9th. Um, But other than that, not not a whole lot going on in La Liga. The the hope, obviously, just has to be that uh, if you are Real and you want to try to get that second spot, you are going to have to probably hand Barcelona their first league loss of the season. And, and by that point, I guess their first league loss in 42 matches. So And good luck with that because it took all that Ronaldo, your boy, could summon. Love him. Great guy. Fantastic. To steer home a goal against Bilbao yesterday to save Real from losing at home to Atletico Bilbao. Well, so, Bilbao's a better team than uh, Bayern Munich, so I'm not, I'm not too concerned about their champions. <laughs> Bilbao's delightful, but obviously that's not a situation that Real Madrid thought they would need an 87-minute equalizer to get one point out of. I'm with you. But, Phil, who was, uh, the, who was the guy that scored the goal for them? It was uh, uh, number seven. 
Oh, it was, oh, it was Cristiano coming up in a big moment when his team needed him the most. Well, it's interesting. There's a guy who wears ten that plays in Barcelona who certainly does not do that. Would would you call that a big moment? Well, I mean, uh, for the for the sake of them <laughs> cons- continuing, of the, for the, the for the sake of them going, uh, you know, chasing the second spot in La Liga, yeah, yeah, I would say it's a pretty big moment, Phil. That's not that's not a big moment. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's up there. You know it's easily up there with uh, taking a penalty against John Luigi Buffon in uh, the quarterfinal. To, oh, uh, to, I wouldn't say that their, at all. To book their, their ticket. That's yeah, fine. you know. It's uh By the way, I'm not tough, sure that tough team, man, I'm not but sure tough. that I'm not sure that Ronaldo knew much about that goal he scored about Vival. It looked like a a back heel that he kind of just glanced at and hoped it would go home. But, but did he fine. swear on the life of his son that it was his goal? <laughs> no, he didn't. Well, that makes him a better man than Harry Kane. So, uh yeah, Fair that's, enough. That's great. Let's move on. Um so Bundesliga, we uh, kind of talked about this off the top a little bit. Bayern named, and I, I can't remember if we mentioned this on the last show, there was a rumor, and now it's been confirmed, that Bayern is naming Niko Kovac, the uh, um, the manager of Eintracht Frankfurt, their manager. Which, that's right. Which I found interesting insofar as that's not a big name. That That is not a Carlo Ancelotti. That is not a Pep Guardiola. I don't know if it's they're, they're now afraid to have the big, splashy name. I don't know if it's they're afraid to go out of Germany now. Um, but not a, a name that I had really expected to see now Eintracht, it's not even a thomas tuchel i mean that that is entirely accurate uh but like in in the grand scheme of things uh this is this is not a hire that i would have expected byron to make um he he does have ties to the club as a player um so i i, I guess maybe that plays into it a little bit but i i'm a little bit lost um maybe maybe it ends up being a really great hire um Eintracht Frankfurt is seventh in the Bundesliga. Uh, Bundesliga right now, they're tied with Hoffenheim, uh, who is sixth. Uh, sixth, but I believe they're ahead because of uh, uh, they have more draws than than losses. So that's how they, I guess, have that tiebreaker over Eintracht. But they're they're level on points. I believe uh, last week they were a little bit higher up in the standings. They're a point behind Leipzig um, well, for fifth. But it doesn't matter. Take. It doesn't matter. Here's we're talking about a, a guy who's managing a seventh place team in the that's Bundesliga right. now, taking over. You know, one of the preeminent, you know, teams in all of international football. It's just weird. The whole the whole thing is strange. I don't get it. Here's my hot take on the whole situation. Maybe this Byron job is not the job that we thought had it has been for the last ten years, right? Byron couldn't get Tuchel, and they couldn't keep the guy they had in place to stay, and so they took Kovac, who was good enough. But they poached him from Eintracht Frankfurt in the middle of the season, unnecessarily creating a controversy. Now, look, Frankfurt's tears are unnecessary for me. We're all grown-ups here. It's professional sports. As far as I'm concerned, if Frankfurt is complaining about the fact that Bayern is taking their manager from them in the middle of the season, Frankfurt might as well spend that energy on thinking that, oh, good, we now have a six- or seven-week head start on finding our new manager to set ourselves up for another seventh-place finish in Bundesliga. Um, Putting all that aside, for Bayern's perspective, I said this last week, Kovac's mandate is to reinvigorate this squad because they can't go forward forever with Lewandowski and these older players that have carried them for years and years and years. It won't last forever. 
I know the Bundesliga is not that competitive, but you can't keep trotting out 33, 34, 35-year-old players and expect that you're going to win the league and compete in the Champions League forever and a day. It's not going to work out that way. I mean, in fairness, though, like Miller's only 28 and Lewandowski's only 29. I know that Robin is Robin is obviously older. He's 34. But, you know, it's not like they're they're trotting out, you know, uh, Philip Blum on, on one leg or anything. Um, you know, I guess, you know, Frank Ribery is also 35. So I guess in, in some way I understand what you're saying. And I guess if I remember correctly, I think Douglas Costa is only off on a loan to Juventus. So bringing him back into the fold would make a lot of sense. You can easily replace some of the production that, that you would see from Ribery or, or maybe to some extent with Robin. But I understand what you're saying, but I, I still think that whoever the new manager is going to be, they're likely going to continue to build around Lewandowski. What if, what if Bayern Munich gets knocked out by Real Madrid and in the next transfer window, Real Madrid pulls a stunner and they bring in Robert Lewandowski as the uh, replacement for Karim Benzema? Well, obviously, um, Madrid would be very happy with that poaching, and Madrid would be left reaching for another player. They'd probably take that player from the Premier League because there are a number of Premier League players who could use a move out of their uh, unsuccessful or not promising situations in England who could... um, profit from moving into the Bundesliga. Uh, let's move on to uh, Ligue 1. A lot of intriguing stuff going on there. Uh, very, very tight top of the table. Um, you know, Monaco's only, sarcastic. Monaco's only 17 points behind league leader PSG. And um, boy, I'll tell you what, that battle for uh, for fourth place between Marseille and uh, and Rennes is, is really intense. 19 points separate fourth and fifth in league n all right that's enough of uh league n let's uh let's move on to the Concacaf champions league toronto lost at home two to one to chivas which uh is a disappointing result for them i think you know it depends on how much you buy into the sliding scale and uh you know how much what do you think the expectations would have been realistically for toronto going into this tournament uh prior to the start of it but you know, for the way that they had played the last two rounds, I do think it is a disappointment for them to not be able to at least come out with a draw at home. It makes their task of going into uh, um, Guadalajara uh, that much more difficult. I, I don't see a way that Toronto is able to go in and, and kind of uh, flip the script and, and walk out of there as, as winners. But weirder things have happened. They've gone to Mexico and won uh, in this uh, Champions League, the, the CONCACAF Champions League uh, tournament. So it wouldn't be a first, but it would certainly be the biggest win, I would say, in the history of MLS if they were able to go down and, and defeat this Chivas team on Chivas soil. I will say that if Toronto doesn't pull this off, that getting to the finals of the CONCACAF Champions League and then falling short it's not worse than not getting there in the first place, but it's a real problem because it will be Chivas saying, we're not even that good this year, and MLS's best came up short over two legs. So, again, I'm going to throw the gauntlet down to uh, Bradley and Altidore and, all, and certainly 
uh, Toronto's best players to go down to Mexico and reverse this first leg outcome because they can do it. This Chivas side is not the best side in Liga MX by a far sight. They are defensively oriented. They hit you on the counter and they just take advantage of your weaknesses. And at home, Toronto fell into their trap. But there are still 90 minutes plus left for Toronto to flip this script. And I expect Toronto to make this interesting. I'm not saying they'll win, but I think there will be a situation in the last 10 minutes of this tie in Mexico where Toronto has it on the knife's edge, and if they score, they go through and win the win the, win the the trophy. And I expect them to put up as good a fight as you can expect. I'm not going to call that they're going to win the trophy, but I think they'll be right there. Do you, do you think if Toronto ends up losing, do we still consider this the most important run in the history of MLS? Does it... Does it give them more international credibility? I'm a little worried that if they don't win this title, that it will fall to the wayside, that they will be forgotten as losers. And I love to bang on a lot of the players on the Toronto side, but the truth is they have done something remarkable to get this far. I would like them to carry it home. And I think they have the talent on their club to flip this script to – turn this result on its head. And I think Toronto could go down to Guadalajara and beat Chivas 4-1. I think they could do it. But they're going to have to play essentially a perfect match. Can they do it? We'll see. I don't really know. Uh, the only thing, um, the only other things that we, I think, wanted to get to before we head out is uh, International Champions Cup. Um, for the people who are in our market, which is the Philadelphia area, um, there's going to be Juventus versus Bayern at uh, Lincoln Financial Field on July 25th, which happens to also be the same night that Manchester City and Liverpool are playing at the Meadowlands, so I know where Phil's going to be. Um, Man City and Bayern and uh, Man United and Real Madrid are both going to be played in Miami on the 28th and 31st of July, respectively. Real Madrid and Roma play at the Meadowlands on August 7th. So this is going to be interesting. Um, do you enjoy going to these games, Phil? Do you enjoy t- tuning in? Is there any chance that you're going to go to any of these matchups? So I went to City Liverpool three years ago because I was covering it for, actually four years ago, I was covering it for Bleacher Report. And I went to Yankee Stadium and covered City Liverpool. And of all people, Raheem Sterling scored the goal that sent it to extra time, which led to City losing. And I remember thinking, well, that's no good. Sterling stinks. (laughs) And two years later, or maybe shorter than that, he was on City. And I'm like, well, now i got to root for him. Um, I'll say this. If you are a North American fan of any of these powerful European clubs, there is a value in going to these North American stadiums and watching these friendlies. It's great to see these guys in person. It's great to see them play quasi-competitive matches and to see the managers try to figure out how to sort out the pieces where there's extra substitutions and they don't want to get guys hurt, et cetera, and so forth. Um, It's not going to be like a match that matters. You know that going in. But... It's still worth the experience just to see your players play because not all of us can afford 
the airline fare overseas, the tickets to the matches in England or Italy or France or Germany. Just go and do it. It's worth it. Um, That being said, I hope I get to go see Man City at some point when they're stateside. I'm not sure I will. Um, But even if I only get to see one of the matches at the length that doesn't involve Man City, it's still a good experience. I'm a little bit disappointed, and and this obviously has nothing to do with uh, the International Champions Cup, but I was a little bit disappointed in in headlines this week. Zlatan had kind of talked about um, his desire to potentially play for the Swedish national team in the upcoming World Cup. Uh, He said, a World Cup without me wouldn't be a World Cup. Uh, He was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, which I thought was also very interesting to see that uh, he's now kind of broken into... Um, territory that I think only the David Beckhams of the world had ever really broken into, that being late-night television. But it it sounds like there are members of the Swedish national team uh, and former members of the Swedish national team who don't believe that Zlatan should represent the nation uh, and think that they would do better without him. Um, backup goalkeeper Carl Johan Janssen, or Johnson, I guess depends. I don't speak Swedish. Um said we managed to qualify and go through to the world cup without him and i think we can manage to play well at the world cup without him but it's up to the coach to see if he wants to bring him in so i i'm very interested because it sounds like at least if it's this guy if the rest of the team agrees with them it's as if they're saying you know uh they believe that they play better team ball without him but they do acknowledge the fact that he is a an exceptional talent but you know it could just become something where it's more of just him and this to me is, uh, this is Washington Wizards and John Wall. It's the argument of, you know, are you really a better team if you're playing cohesive team ball, or is it better to bring back, you know, the player who would very likely be the most talented player on your roster? So I, I don't know. It's, uh, if, if you're the Swedish manager, do you pick Zlatan based on reputation alone, or do you consider going with a a younger team and a, a team that, you know, has qualified without Zlatan. Is it too much of a distraction to bring him in? No, it's not too much of a d- distraction. You pick Zlatan, you start him, and you ride him. He has already proven in the last three months. He has a lot left. And it's all well and good that the Swedish national team qualified without him. He was hurt for a lot of that time. I don't know what he would have done with that national team if he had been healthy, and they don't know either. All I know is what he is now is productive and useful. And you're going to pay a stiff price if you don't pick him for that side and you don't advance out of the group stages as against putting him on the side and riding him until you know what you have. To me, it's a no-brainer. He plays, and if he wants to play and is going to commit himself to giving everything he has to the national team. He plays, and you just see what happens. Uh, last thing, and and I would say, you know, on Zlatan, he's, he's, the ultimate, um, he's the ultimate game changer. He's shown after, you know, not having played for, what was it, six months after an ACL reconstruction surgery, uh, and, you know, you could argue until you're blue in the face if MLS is a legitimate league uh, in, in international football and all that, and I, I get that, but... He's come in and he's, he's made a difference uh, in limited minutes in every game that he's played in practically. And, um, you know, I do think it would be 
somewhat nonsensical and, and asinine of them to not at least consider bringing him back on. Um, before we head out, you were upset last week that ESPN FC was moving to the ESPN Plus platform, which they're now giving away free for 30 days or something like that. I'm almost doing this as if it's an ad read for them. But um, you, I, I believe, were happy because the, the word got out that ESPN FC is going to be in a podcast. Which... Yeah, thank thank God that Dan Thomas and um, Shaka Hislop and Craig Burley and Paul Mariner and the entire crew at, oh, certainly Alan Moreno, at ESPN FC are still giving away their content as a podcast, which is lightly advertised and not very well set out in the world as something in content that you can take. For me, I don't understand. The show, the video show, the TV show was the thing that people were paying attention to. No one was listening to the podcast. But for me, I'll listen to the podcast and be happy to take the content and not pay the $5 a month. Um, Before we head out, Phil, I have good news. Do you want the good news? Please. We have a five-star review on iTunes. Get out. We do. We have a five-star review, and I feel like it is uh, very worthwhile to read it. So this is by Kev F. All the Crossing Broad five stars. I've listened to every Crossing Broad podcast since the reincarnation when Russ, Adam, and Kyle began them over a year ago. Once the CBFC podcast launched, I knew I had to give it a try. Russ and Phil do a great job expanding beyond just the EPL, which no matter what Russ says is by far the best league in the world. The only drawbacks are Russ's ridiculous overpronunciation of European names and the fact they support dumb teams. Well, I will have you know that in uh, most cases, my overpronunciations are correct and that Phil and I may support mainstream, te- mainstream teams, um, but I would argue that they are not dumb. I think your opinion of them being dumb is, uh, well, it's maybe dumb. I, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to offend our, our, our first five-star reviewer, but I'm going to say it right now, Phil. I think it's a dumb opinion. Manchester City and Real Madrid are not dumb teams. Maybe we're lazy. Maybe we're front runners. but this is the life that we've chosen to live, and we will live it to the fullest. Oh, City's kind of dumb. Wow. I was not, I was not expecting you to uh, you'd do that to me at the end of this. We've been recording podcasts together this evening for over two hours now, and I, I thought... Thought our synergy was at a at a higher level, Phil. Oh, I still love them, but they're kind of dumb. I guess Real. You have you have a shake pouring hundreds of billions of pounds into a club that, before he got involved, was mid table in the Prem at best, and at worst was like two leagues below. And now you have uh, Sheikh Mansour dumping money into this club and making them a three time Prem winner in seven years. A Champions League quasi-favorite until they dump the bed against Liverpool. And a club that looks like for the next 10 years they can do whatever they want. So I agree with our listener. Dumb. I mean, I love Man City, but they're dumb. Uh, I want to get into this next week, but uh, it looks like Wolves are getting promoted to the EPL. They are. And um, there's a lot of a lot of weird things happening with uh, with owners and uh, the the transfer of players and and the way that uh, some of the players that were on the Wolves squad this year uh, very likely could have been playing 
for better teams in better leagues. But uh, there are there are some people out there who are beginning to spin the uh, the idea that um, it's it's kind of corrupt how Wolves managed to uh, to get their way back up to the EPL. So I think we might kind of look at that for next week. In addition to, uh, I guess we'll be recapping, right? We'll be recapping the first leg of the semifinals of the Champions League, which is going to be really interesting. We'll be able to have a better idea of what the Serie A uh, title race is going to look like. We'll have a better idea about La Liga. We'll we'll uh, kind of figure out if um, if Bayern really are going to go through with Kovac as their manager, which they certainly appear to be doing. I'm just a little bit beside myself on it, to be honest, still at this point. And uh, we will recap any and all of the big stories going on in world football. Uh, as always, we thank you for listening to uh, Crossing Broad FC. Make sure you um, let somebody else know. Let your fellow international football fans know about this podcast available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you would want to get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Russell Joy, at Joy on Broad on Twitter. That is Phil Kaidel at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L on Twitter. Follow up with us. Let us know if uh, if we are smart, if we're stupid, if our teams are dumb, if our thoughts are dumb, if our opinions are dumb. And uh, we will be back next week. Don't forget to leave a five-star review, and we will talk to you again next week. Phil, any last words of wisdom for the people? No, just please uh, reach out to us on Twitter and send us your questions or comments. We're here for you. Oh, Phil, duh. We should have uh we should do a prediction. Champions League first leg. How did we not do this? What uh what do you think is gonna happen? Let's well, let's really start like... let's start with the matchup that you care more about, the Liverpool and uh um uh, uh, Roma matchup coming up this week. Well I, it's it's at Liverpool. I've already betrayed I love Liverpool in this matchup. I think Liverpool wins three one. Okay. Maybe even three nil. Um if you're asking me about Madrid and Bayern, um, the first legs of the Allianz, yep. I think Munich is going to tighten up and probably claim a 1-0 win at home, but that's not going to get them anywhere near where they need to go. Going back to Real Madrid with a one-goal advantage is not really that much. So I see Liverpool-Roma going... I think it's going to be a much more interesting matchup. I think this is going to be... The uh, the matchup where Roma gets out to a one nil lead, Liverpool goes plays counter, ties it up, and then in the the waning moments, Edin Dzeko scores a uh, a winner. I think Roma wins two one in that first leg, which will set up for an interesting second leg, and I think Bayern beats Madrid three to two, which will also set up for a very interesting matchup in the second leg. If nothing else, I'm hoping that we have some competitive matches that uh, that don't lead you know to blowouts. I don't want blowouts in the first leg. That does not make for an interesting second leg. Keep it close. Let's have two great weeks of semifinal matchups. Um, anyway, we will be back next week. Talk to you on Twitter. Talk to you wherever you get your podcasts and all that. Till next week. <laughs>